Thank you for caring. There we go. Well, it's good to be here with you this morning. Um, we have we were in Calgary last week. There was four of us drove over for the funeral, and uh, we were glad that we went. Uh, Dan and Carissa both spoke in the funeral and did an incredible job of honoring uh, Cheryl's life and. Uh, it was good to be there as part of the Hillcrest family. Doug Mackmer, Doug Sigelko, Pat and I went over. Um, interesting part of it was if you ever are making a long trip and you need something to keep you awake, take the two Dougs. <laughs> Nonstop conversation, one story after another. Each one, one hour more, after another. One hour after one hour after one hour. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Pat and I will be going into counseling. I think we'll be fine. Uh, <laughs> Pat never said a word the whole trip. She just sat and stared at her game. And once in a while, did anybody see the Facebook? She Facebooked their conversation. Just the audio part. Pretty funny. Pretty funny. Anyway, Daisy, uh, some great things coming up here in the near future. A little while back, there was a great event in Karenport which probably a lot of us did not see, and maybe just give us a fresh up on that and maybe introduce what's coming soon here. Yeah, a few weeks before Christmas, we talked about the Defend Dignity Forum that was coming in at Briarcrest um, to talk about um, human trafficking and prostitution in Canada. And uh, thank you to those of you who made the time to attend. I think you will agree with me that it was well worth the investment of time. It, it was an amazing evening um, from five or six different presenters that presented at a national level right down to a local level. One of our um, police officers was there to talk about the situation in Moose Jaw. There was a woman who shared her story who was from Regina, and it was, it was not only moving and informative, but there was also opportunity for action to get involved to talk about um, what happens next. And, you know, I couldn't help thinking about as we were singing just earlier, the one line of that song, break my heart for what breaks yours, Lord, that cry to, that he would break our hearts. This is one of the issues we need to ask him to break our heart about because this is not just an international problem. This is a Canadian problem. This is a provincial problem. This is a moostra problem of human trafficking and, and uh, prostitution. And if you had a, didn't have a chance to get out to the Defend Dignity Forum, there's another chance for you to be informed, and that's the, happening this Tuesday night at Joe's Place, um, 7 p.m. It's open to the public. It's called um, Red Light, Green Light is a film that will be screened. It's a documentary, and the filmmakers travel to 10 different countries to examine the models of their approach to prostitution and the laws. If you're not if you're not aware, this is a really critical year in Canada for this issue because our laws will change and there, it could go one of two ways. Um, basically what we've been told is it could go to sort of let's try to clean this up and sanitize this and if you think about it that's really not possible or let's try to eliminate it and I think if we approach things, if we're going to approach things um, with the view that this is abuse of women and children then the natural response would be it should be eliminated, not just cleaned up, right? And there's something out there called the Nordic model, which you'll learn more about if you come out on Tuesday night that some countries have been implementing that has really drastically um, affected this issue in their country. So I would encourage you, um, it's open to everyone, not suitable for children, but if you have teens, that you might want to come with them and join us at 7 o'clock Joe's Place. Um, be informed, and there'll also be opportunity for action. It won't just be for information, but also for what can you do about it. Awesome. Um, Laura had something kind of burning in her heart about 
uh, in the service this morning about the throne of God, this place where this majesty dwells, and we think about the, the dark side of human struggle and just know that the heart of God, that great sovereign majesty, has a different picture for what human beings should be doing and what they should be about and how they should take care of each other. So uh, just hear that word in a very plagiarized way, but something is there. There's a message this morning that we need to step into our part and, and work for our sovereign king and say, okay, Lord, we want to we see our landscape change. I have done some inquiry myself about some of the issues in Moose Jaw, talking to different young men and women, and uh, what an education, what a painful education. You think it's not here? It's here. We, we've got issues, and most of us may not see that in our regular lives, but underneath in our culture is the strata of real heartache, and uh, we need to be aware, and we need to respond. Something else about Joe's Place, they have a great evening, Tuesday evenings they yes. have a meal, and something's happened, they've lost some volunteers, just a couple had to step away, can you talk yeah, about Tuesday that? Yeah, Tuesday night at Joe's Place, they have a, like a discipleship Bible study group, and it also coincides with the young mums group, um, that they mentor teenage mums, or young mums, and, and take care of their children that evening. They start with serving a meal, which is such a fabulous way to do it, but just in the last little bit, a couple of the cooks have stepped down, they're looking for volunteers who can prepare and serve food Tuesday night. If you or your life group all together would like to do that once a month or come, up, come on a regular rotation, talk to Joe. If you can't catch Joe this morning, catch me and let me know. Um, Joe's waving back there. He's ready. He'll be ready for you. Um, it would be an amazing opportunity to catch a little glimpse of what they are doing and who they're reaching and also just provide a really practical need. Very good. Um, yeah, and I'll just say too, if you, if you haven't done the Joe's Place Supper event I've done it a couple of times with a life group, and it's it's a blessing. Like, it's not a chore. It's actually a blessing to be there, and I would encourage you, if you've not done it, uh, maybe you're kind of new to church or new to Moose Jaw, and you've never been to Joe's place, that's a great great way of kind of meeting uh, those folks and see what God is doing in that great place. So if you can help with that, it's all good. Steve is going to start a new series with us this morning, Encountering God. So let's give Steve a nice welcome. God bless you, man. Come and preach. Thank you. Uh, thank you very much. Um, I am going to uh, be sharing in the very first message in our Experiencing God series. I'm really excited about this series. Um, I've, this week I've, I've been extra proud to be a part of Hillcrest. I've uh, just seen lots of different ways in which God is working in the lives of our own people here. And um, just uh, maybe I'll just point out three really quick before I, I speak this morning. One is um, I was... I had the privilege of participating in um, Beth Foster's funeral on Thursday morning, and a very unique thing happened as we were sharing stories about her life. Uh, I really felt like we were honoring this faithful servant of God who, you know, if you don't know her story, she, she served as a Sunday school teacher in this church for, we're thinking minimum 35 years, but probably more. And no one really, you know, and she was super faithful and so generous and all these great things about her life. But as we were telling stories about her life, I felt like we had this just real Hillcrest community moment together where just sort of people telling stories about people in this church caring for other people in this church and really loving each other and, and, and partnering together to do things uh, for God. And it was just really cool. And it was sort of one of those moments where I thought, you know, too many people of my generation and younger missed 
Uh, I would love to be able to have uh, transported you to that place. But it's just a great moment where I just thought, wow, this is a great group to be a part of. And then secondly, I also thought, boy, I hope when my generation gets to the age of some of the ones who are sharing this story, that we'll also be that connected and we won't just be... uh, Facebook friends. Anyhow, so I was really excited. That was one proud moment. And then I went to the Joe's Place annual general meeting, and uh, some really cool things are happening with Joe's Place. Again, if you haven't volunteered to help out on Tuesday nights with cooking for those students, you'll just, that's a great opportunity that'll bless you, but it'll also really uh, help out some kids and bless them as well. And uh, just really cool how Christians from across the city and from many churches are working hand in hand uh, to make a big difference at Joe's Place. And so many of Many of our people were there, and it was just really cool to see the role that they're playing. And then the third experience I had that really just sort of made me feel really proud of, of our people and, and what's going on, it was, um, I was at a, at a birthday party, and I met this young lady. Her name was Patricia, and I had never met her before, but she, was, she worked for the Multicultural Center here in town. And, and some of you know, some of you guys have been working at preparing those um, kitchen kits, basically a starter kit for an immigrant family as they come to our community. And as I was just chatting with her, I, she said, oh, what do you do? Well, you know, you always won't, don't want to say you're a pastor because it's a party killer. But anyhow, so I said, yeah, I'm a pastor. You know, people stop swearing right away. Anyhow, and uh, I'm like, yeah, I'm a pastor. And, and uh, oh, yeah, what church? And I said, well, I'm, I'm from Hillcrest Church, you know, the one by Boston Pizza. And she goes, oh, you're from Hillcrest? Oh, and she talked, gushed about how she loved Daisy and thought she was the greatest. And then about these kitchen kits and how it's really making a massive difference. And, and she tried to describe the world for me of these immigrant families and how it's really helping them get a good start here in Moose Jaw and she's just giddy with excitement about what you guys are doing and so thank you for uh, allowing me to associate with such cool people and uh, and and gets uh, anyhow I'm just really proud of you guys and uh, let me just shift gears we're, we're starting a brand new series we're calling it experiencing God and uh, whether you've just started following God whether that's where you're at, or whether you've been following God for decades, or whether you wouldn't necessarily call yourself a follower of God or a follower of Jesus, you're maybe open to considering it, or maybe you're just here because someone said, I'll buy you lunch if you come to church. You know, wherever you're at, we, we really have one desire for you that is so strong, and it's the same desire we have for ourselves. And that is, we would really just absolutely love it if you could experience more of God in your life. We, we, would just, we, we think that would be so great if you could experience more of God in your life. And that's what we desire for ourselves as well, that we could experience more of God in our lives. And that's what the series is about, is, to, is to, um, to, to present some teaching that will help us to experience God more. And, uh, and I'm not just... Uh, when, when I talk about experiencing God, we're talking about having a real, growing, vibrant relationship with God. And... Um, you know, there's a current thing that I'm sort of, you know, different authors have written about it, but I've sort of seen it too in, uh, in Christian circles, is um, that sometimes Christians who, here I'm going to use two theological words real quick, but Christians are in the camp of what we would call theists, theists, people who believe in God, etc., etc. And then there's another camp that's sort of like distantly related, but it's very different, it's called deism. So there's theism and deism. Let me explain deism for you. Deism is that God created everything and then just left it and doesn't interact with it anymore. That's deism. So people say, yeah, I believe in God. Yeah, I believe in God. But I don't think that 
he has any interaction with his creation. And I also don't believe he has any interaction with me personally. And we uh, Christians are not deists. We are theists. We actually believe that God did create everything, but that he does interact with his creation. But it's interesting, sometimes, and I've experienced this in my life, I've gone long seasons without very much interaction with God. I've gone long seasons without experiencing God much in my life. And then it's, I'm almost like practically a deist. And yet, theologically, I would say, no, I believe God interacts with people. I believe that God is involved in people's lives. And he wants, that's his desire, that he wants to interact with people's lives. And so we want to, um, we want to present this series as a way to, to, um, to talk about that, to be able to say, hey, uh, what are some of the practices, what are some of the realities, what are some of the concepts, what are some of the things that are going to be good bridges to help us to experience God more in our lives? Um, so what does it mean to know God? What does it mean to know God? Now, it depends on what you mean by the word know. Okay? Ancient Greeks used the word know differently than ancient Hebrews used the word know. And so if two ancient Greek guys were hanging out, and they were like, hey, I know your girlfriend. The other guy would say, really? That's very interesting. Please share with me some of the concepts that you understand about my girlfriend. And they would have a nice, polite conversation, very abstract, very intellectual, about this girl. If two Hebrew guys were standing together, and the one guy said, hey, I know your girlfriend, the other guy would be like, Why the big difference? The big difference is because Hebrews didn't know anything until they experienced it. They viewed knowing very different. You didn't just you didn't know something if you had a few concepts in your head about it, or even a comprehensive amount of concepts about it. You knew something by experience. You knew something by experiencing. And so sometimes that comes into our relationship now or where we say, you know, do you know God? Well, you know, I grew up in Sunday school and so I, I learned all about God. And actually I've taken different classes at different times in my church and, and that also has given me more information about God. And I went to Bible college and I, I, from there I learned a lot of different theology, a lot of different concepts about God. And, and then I went to seminary and got some even more advanced teaching and understanding of these concepts of God. And a Greek guy would say, wow, you really know God. And a Hebrew guy would go, but I asked you whether you knew God or not. And so I wanna, today I want to talk about, I'm going to present three upgrades for you today. Three upgrades, three different ways to think or different ways to approach things that hopefully will be an upgrade for you. And it, it doesn't mean that what we're leaving is bad because to know about God is good. But to experience God, I think, is an upgrade. And so that is actually uh, the first upgrade I want to present to you this morning from go going from knowing about God to expecting to experience God. Expecting to experience God. I don't think anybody really signs up saying, please, could I settle for a sterile religion? I think people say, you know what? I, I want to experience God. And sometimes they're not even saying that. They're going in all sorts of different directions to experience the transcendent, and, you know, and there's lots of different ways we do that. 
But they're saying, there's something missing. There's a piece that needs to be filled in in my life. And uh, so they go all different locations to find it. But I think people do, in their hearts, I think all of us, even if you wouldn't admit it right up front, I think if you dug deep enough, you'd say, there's an empty spot where I want, there's a part of me that wants to know God and experience him. Now, Scripture is filled with descriptions of God's character, and you may intellectually believe them to be true about God. But God desires you to experience him, and experience him so much so that it'll change how you live and act and respond to the world. Let let me just uh, give you an example. For example, we can read in the Bible that God is a comfort. So if you know that intellectually, God is a comfort That may help you when you need comfort. So if you're in a time of suffering in your life, that might help you. It might lead to good things. God can use amazing, those kind of things in your life. But it's so much different if you say God is a comfort. It's so much different to actually say God, I I know God is a comfort. That's one thing. But to say I know God, change one letter, as a comfort. You're saying that you've experienced it. And you know what? I, I was just going through, uh, and I don't, I'm not going to share them all with you. I was going with this big, huge list of all the different um, ways that the Bible describes God. All these incredible lists of things. He's, my, he's a provider, and he's a protector, and he's a, you know, he's a father, and he's a, uh, you know, all these different things. You know, I was just reading, and it was a massive list, like probably 30 different names long. And I was just going through them, and I was like asking myself, I was like, which of these ones do I know intellectually, and which of these do I know experientially? Because that'll make a huge difference in crunch time. When life is difficult, when life is really high stress, when you're in the pressure moment, the stuff you know experientially, I think you're going to have a lot more confidence in. And I've had that experience in my life where I've even, because uh, you know, I've been in, in this sort of Christian game for a long, long time in my life, and I've had experiences where I know what is, is true theologically from the Bible, but yet I haven't experienced it yet. And then I go through a really trying time in my life and I experience God. I come out the other side and I'm like, you know, this attribute of God I have a confidence in that I didn't have before when I just knew about it. Now I truly, I truly trust this area and it's, it made such a difference in your life. So if you've got your Bible this morning and if you don't have a Bible, grab the one in the bench in front of you. That's a good one too. We're going to read a few words, words of Jesus in John chapter 5 and in this Bible it's page 864. So 864, if you want to just whip to this one real fast. And these are some words about, about uh, Jesus and uh, what he says about experiencing God and, or how it, this relates to experiencing God. John chapter 5 and verse 17. So Jesus is having a discussion with some guys, and this is what he says in verse 17. In his defense, Jesus said to them, My father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. Um, we'll just skip down a verse here. 
to 19. It says, Jesus gave them this answer. Then Jesus is still talking to them. He says, very truly I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these, so that you will be amazed. I just want to point out a few things in here that Jesus says about himself and the Father. First thing he says is that my Father is always at his work. You ever think that God is not doing anything? Or let's make it more localized. You ever think that God's not doing anything in Moose Jaw? Or he's not doing anything in your network of relationships? Jesus says, um, my father is always at his work. This is, this is basically the concept I want to share with you today. It's a beginning concept, and we're going to share several over the next few weeks. But this is the concept. God is always at work. And let me just add to it. God is always at work around you. God is always at work around you. Sometimes our, the fact that we don't experience God is that we are not attuned to the work that God is actually doing around us. And so we don't actually experience the, the join, joining of ourselves with what God is doing. And so often we are isolated from God and we're working on our own without him. Here's a few other things that Jesus says in here. He says, uh, in verse 19, he says, The Son can do nothing by himself. I found this amazing concept. This is Jesus. You think that Jesus could, you know, be there and go, you know what? I'm just going to dream a little dream about what I'm going to do. I'm going to make a plan about something I'm going to do. You know, and you just think, well, this is Jesus. If anyone could make a plan, it would be a good plan, it would be the right plan, it would be awesome plan, it would come to be, to be wonderful, it would be Jesus. And yet Jesus doesn't freelance at all. Jesus doesn't make up his own plans at all. Jesus only does what the Father does. This is what he says. The Son can do nothing by himself. Later on, we'll read in other passages, you can read that we can do nothing by ourselves of divine uh, nature. But he can only do what he sees his Father doing. It's interesting. Can you imagine Jesus actually seeing what God is doing? I don't know how that works. Is Jesus walking down dusty roads of Palestine going, ah, God is at work here. (laughs) It's like, sort of blows my mind in several different ways. But he sees, he, he says the son, that's him, can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves his son and shows him all he does. So, This is the principle I want to draw yourself to. If Jesus didn't make his own plans, if Jesus didn't make his own plans, but he just did what God was doing, how much more would it be wise for us to, instead of making our own plans and then saying, God, I've got this really good plan I cooked up. Would you bless it? Instead, how about we find out what God is doing, join him in what he's doing, 
because that's going to be blessed. It's a significant difference. I have cooked up a lot of plans in my days. Credible schemes. Really well thought through, I thought, mostly. So many of them have flopped. And I realized that a lot of times, I, after I got the scheme and the plan and everything all together, that that's when I was turning towards God and saying, okay, God, I got this plan, now will you bless it? And God's like, well, I have plans. Do you want to hear about those? No, God, I got this great thing. It's just, just really, I got it figured out. It's going to work. Awesome. Just would you add a little bit of spiritual sparkle dust on the top? <laughs> just to make sure. Aren't you glad I thought something up for you, God, that you can use? This is, a, this is a significant change in our lives. Instead of making your own plans and enlisting God to bless them, surrender your life to God. That's a significant change. Make yourself available to join God in his divine purposes. I'm going to give you two examples, one good, one bad, from the Bible. Exodus 2 and chapter 11 is the example of Moses. Exodus, I don't have the page number for that, but I'm, I'm just going to read off my notes here. So Exodus 2 and chapter, chapter 2 and verse 11 uh, is this example of Moses. It says, One day after Moses had grown up, he grew up in Egypt. He was a Hebrew, but he grew up uh, in the royal palace, and uh, anyhow, he was uh, but surrounded by Hebrews who were all slaves to the Egyptians. One day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were watching them own people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Looking this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. The next day he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? And the man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, what I did must have become known. When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian, where he sat down by a well. So, Moses sees injustice happening. And not just injustice happening, but happening to his own people. He feels an affinity for the Hebrew people because he is one. And so he sees this injustice happening, and he does what all of us do when we see injustice happening. He feels his blood pressure rising. Right? I'm sure you're not totally beyond that. When you see injustice, you get mad. That should not be. And I think that's an appropriate response to injustice. That should not be. Now, I'm not saying Moses took a long time to formulate his plan. I think this was fairly reactionary. <laughs> but he went out and he struck this guy and he kills him. And then, next day, he's hanging out with his Hebrew buds and they're like, you're going to kill me too? What? I mean, he was, he was delivering these guys. He was saving these guys from this terrible, oppressive Egyptian guy, and suddenly the Hebrews are like, you know, thanks but no thanks, angry guy. 
well, that didn't work out. And then suddenly Pharaoh wants to kill him and he has to run from his land. And I can see him sitting down by the well and going, that should have worked. Why didn't my plan work? Why didn't what I do work? Why didn't I, my instincts work? Why, why didn't, when I saw injustice and I respond to it, it ended so terribly and poorly? And I, I don't get it. If you go to the next chapter, you'll find that God has an encounter, or, God, or Moses has an encounter with God. And God invites him to join him in his plan. Now, this isn't, I, I'm going to tell you a made-up conversation. This is not real, but just imagine. Just imagine in between those two things that God has a conversation with Moses and says, um, so Moses, um, you really love your countrymen, don't you? Oh, yeah, I just feel such a, well, I mean, I'm related, and I, yeah, I just feel for them. I'm seeing them suffering, and yeah, I just have all this empathy for them and what they're going through, and yeah, I really love my people. So do I. Do you think you love them more than I do? Well, I guess not. You're, you know, you're God. They're your chosen people. Okay. And, uh, what, what, Moses, I have this plan. I have this idea. Oh, it's not just, it's not just something I cooked up. I've had this plan for hundreds of years. In fact, I told Abraham about it. I told him that his descendants would go in, into bondage, but then they'd be delivered. And uh, Moses is like, oh, I had a plan once. Yeah, I saw this guy beating a Hebrew, and I just went out and clocked him and killed him. And God's like, how did your plan work out? Oh, it didn't work out at all, man. God, I'm actually ticked off at you about that. I mean, I'm trying to serve you and do good things, and you don't doesn't seem like you want to bless the things that I'm doing. And God's like, but I've been, I've been preparing a plan for hundreds and thousands of years. A plan that's going to work. A plan where you do get to play a role in what I'm doing. A plan where you're not working on your own, but a plan where I'm going to work through you. Would you like to join me in what I'm doing? And that's, I think, the invitation that God extends to all of us. Saying, okay, stop cooking up plans that you want God to bless and instead start asking God what he is doing. God, what are you doing in Moose Jaw? What are you doing in the network of friends that I have and family that I have around me? See, working for God often means that you isolated yourself from God. You know, sometimes people get really inspired. Maybe you experience God in some event or occasion or uh, some church service or something like that, and then you go, got it! I know what I'm supposed to do. And you run off and do it, but you don't actually, you're not doing it with God. You're just doing it for Him. And then six months later, you sort of drag yourself back after you've been beat up by the whole process, and you're like, why didn't that work? And God was like, I want you to be in a loving relationship with me. I want you to live in dependence on me. I don't want you to go out independently and just do your own thing or for me. I want you to walk with me and I will work through you. I will empower you. I'll do it in your life.
So the second upgrade I want to just bring to your attention is it's an upgrade from working for God. Not that that's a bad thing, but so much better to find out what God is doing and let him work through you. So what is God's will for your life? That's a question you probably want the answer to, right? And it's a really great question. But even this I'd like to upgrade. Because one of the things I've discovered about my own life is that when I ask this question, what's God's plan for Steve's life? What's God's plan for my life? When I ask that question, I... And I, don't, I haven't always realized this about myself, but I see it more and more. I've often set restrictions on the answer. And this is how I do it. I think, okay, God, I'm in Moose Jaw. I'm in the role that I play at the church. And, um, and our family does these things in our schedule. And um, I, I only am capable to do these things, or they're the only things I like to do. And, um, and I... This is my budget, and um, um, also this is how much time I've got to give. What's your plan for my life that you can fit into that? It's like, God, do you have a tiny assignment that would really fit into what's left? When you join God in what he's doing, and we'll talk about this more in the weeks to come, it requires a major realignment of your life. It requires major adjustment to what he is doing. And so often I come with this question. I say, God, what, what is your will for my life? You know, probably would be helpful for me and an upgrade for me is if I push that question back for a second or two and first I grappled with this question, God, what is your will? Period. What is your will, period? What do you want to do? What are you doing already? Because whatever you're doing already is going to succeed. If I align my life into whatever you're doing already, then I'm going I'm to see success in my life. And the, the Bible doesn't leave us alone on this or stay silent and not give us any clues. Let me share some of what God is doing. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And... Um, Again, I don't have the page number in the blue Bible for you, but 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, this is what it says. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. And all this is from God. Listen to what God does. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he's committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. So we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. There's lots in there, but I just want to point out a couple things. What is God doing? What is God's will? What is he up to in Moose Jaw? Well, he's reconciling people to himself through Christ. That is what God is doing in Moose Jaw. God is reconciling people to himself through Christ in Moose Jaw. 
God, what's your will? I'm reconciling people to myself here in Moose Jaw. So if I bring the other question, God, what's your will for my life? It's got to connect with what's God's will for everything. So I might come to God in sort of a me-focused way, self-centered way, and say, God, what's, what's your will for my life? And, you know, I just really want to feel important and significant. Do you have something important and significant that I could be a part of? And God's saying, well, the most important and significant thing that is happening in the universe is I'm reconciling people to myself through Christ. And I might say, do you got anything else? One of the things about aligning yourself with what God is doing is that you have to leave the self-centeredness behind. And it maybe not happen in a moment, but it happens over time as God works in our lives through that process that theologians call sanctification. But we come to him and we say, okay, God, what are you doing? I want to join you in what you're doing. There's a story in the Bible um, of a guy who probably did better than Moses did at the beginning, and, that, just, and he didn't always do good. Boy, if, it's hard to find a guy in the Bible who just nailed it all the time. They were a real mixed bag, just like you and me. 1 Kings chapter 18 tells the story of Elijah. And basically, uh, the nation is totally a wreck. The nation of Israel is a wreck because uh, people are not worshiping God. They're worshiping idols. Um, and um, so this moment comes on this mountain, Mount Carmel, where it's the showdown. And on one side of the showdown is Elijah, the prophet of God, who has a sneaking suspicion he's the only one. He later on finds out that's not true. But he has a sneaking suspicion he's the only prophet of God. And on the other side, you've got 850 prophets of Baal and Asherah. And uh, they all have knives. That's a part of it, too. Anyhow... So you have this showdown, and what they do is, is they say, well, Elijah comes up, he, he's, he, he's, he says what is going to happen. We're going to build two altars, and uh, the God who answers with fire to light the altars, that's the God we'll serve. And uh, so the prophets of Baal go first, they build their altar, and they got their sacrifice on it, and they pray, and they cry out, and it doesn't work, and then they get mad, they use their knives to cut themselves, and nothing happens. And then Elijah steps up and he says, um, so um, he's built a trench around his altar and he says, yeah, just douse that thing in water. And they do it. And says, That's awesome. Douse it again. They do it again. Douse it a third time. They do it a third time. And then this is what he prays. At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done, listen to this phrase, and have done all these things at your command. I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Elijah's test was not Elijah's idea. Elijah didn't cook this up. How confident would you be if you cooked up a plan facing off with 850 angry men, very frustrated angry men with knives, and you're like, 
man, I hope this plan I thought up was going to work. God, would you bless this? Elijah had more confidence than that because of the fact this was God's work. This is what God was doing. He'd allowed himself to be in a space. He'd aligned himself with God. He said, God, I'm your servant. Come what may. He didn't put small parameters around God and say, you can only have your will in this tiny, scheduled, structured, budgeted portion of my existence. He said, I am your servant. You want me to do what? On the mountain? Two sacrifices? Lots of water? Wow, I would never have thought that up. Let me read the last little bit again. Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant, and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, Lord, are God, and that you are turning their hearts back again. You are reconciling people to yourself. My concern for my life, and I'll share it with you, is that I know my tendency to do things on my own without God. To do things for God. And yet, there's this invitation of God to join him in what he's doing. And on the other side of that invitation is the incredible experience of him using me, working through me. The danger is that I'll somehow get off on my own projects and miss out. I won't experience God. And it's not just that I'm missing an experience. But my effectiveness to do things for God without God is nil. If I don't live in dependence, if I don't, uh, if I don't um, go through the process where God truly makes me his servant, I won't be ready for what he has for my life and what he has for the lives of many others. Let me tell you a story. This is, you know, we're using a structure for this series out of a, the book Experiencing God. Has anyone ever read the book Experiencing God by Henry Blackaby? Okay, so some of you guys have. It's a great book. Um, he tells a story in his book. And he was a pastor in Saskatoon. And uh, he, um, they were doing outreaches onto the university, the U of S campus. And so this is what he, t- he tells a story like this. He says that, uh, they were trying to start these Bible studies on the campuses, and um, they were having no luck at all. Basically, they were advertising, promoting, telling people, we're having a Bible study, we're having a Bible study, in the dorm, on the campus, here, Bible study here, there, everywhere, nothing, flat, no response, no interest. Everyone was discouraged. They came back together. So the pastor who was teaching some of these same principles to his church, he said, you know what? Let's really make it our focus to Make ourselves available to God to hear him, hear what he's saying. And second, let's look with spiritual eyes to see where God is already working. 
If we can discern where God is already working, then all we have to do is join him in what he's doing. So this is the advice he gave to his, the students there. He said, if anybody asks questions about God, the Bible, or Jesus, he says, drop whatever you're doing and make it a priority to find out what is God doing there. So just be alert. Just be aware. And just be on your toes ready for that moment when somebody starts asking those questions. And he says, and then drop everything to make sure that you follow that up to find out what is God doing? Because whenever we, where, if we can find out what God's doing, because God is reconciling people to himself here in Saskatoon, if we can find out what God is doing in Saskatoon on this campus, and we join him, that's going to be blessed. So one girl was coming out of her class one day, and this other girl came to her, and she said, um, she said, are you a Christian? She said, yeah. She said, oh, I just, I just have a lot of questions about Christianity and stuff like that. And she's, she's just about to go to her next class, and she says, oh yeah, she remembers what the pastor said. So she goes, well, do you want to go to the cafeteria and talk about it? And she's like, oh, okay. So she goes to the cafeteria, and they talk about it, and she's, she said, so you have lots of questions. Tell me, tell me what's going on in your life. And she says, well, there's a group of us in our, in our dorm, and we're meeting like every week to study the Bible. But none of us are Christians, and none of us have a background in this, and we just have a lot of questions. And we just don't know if there's anybody out there who could help us with our questions. Well, that, steam, that was the beginning of a steamrolling effect of happening. In the end, they got, three, they got two um, Bible studies for, for girls going on the campuses and three for guys in the dorms as well. Out of that, just being alert to what God was doing. And so I'm going to invite you to, to begin this process of experiencing God in a fresh way in your life in the same way. To, to again, it's a matter of faith to say, God, okay, you're working in Moose Jaw. You're working in my family. You're working in my extended network of friends and connections and coworkers. You're working. Just be alert. That's what I'm asking you to do. Be alert to what, what God is doing. And then, when you sense or when you... you discern that God is working there, drop everything and jump in. Drop everything and jump in. Adjust your life and go for it. Align your life with his mission. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Let's stand together. Worship team, you can come back.